Now, as I said before, um, or as I prayed before, Max is preaching today, or is chatting to us, and uh, we've got a couple of Bible readings here. It's from Acts 7 and 8 and 9. So, and in the first uh, reading, Stephen is uh, being spe- speaking here and he's been dragged before the Sanhedrin. Now, you kind of need to just sort of get that into your context. Let's picture this. All right, and we're starting Acts 7, uh, starting at 51. Verse 51. You stiff-necked people. I love the way... I really do. I love the description that comes out in these, you know, like they're written by real people, you know. It's, you stiff-necked, it's almost like you're saying you're nincompoops. You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet that your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels but have not obeyed it. Verse 54, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the tops of their voices, they all rushed at him. Imagine that dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of the young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not, take, do not hold their sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep and Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, the great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Sounds kind of familiar. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he... Okay, let's go to that. All right, we'll go to number nine. (laughs) Chapter nine, verses one to 19. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found out found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly, I love that word, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? 
Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless as they heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him to the, by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. Ananias. Ananias, that's it. Forgot it. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord said to him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. See, they had original names for streets then too, like, you know, Main Street. And asked for a man there, Taurus, named Saul, for he, as for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord Ananias said, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show you how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptised and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. As Max comes, I'm just going to pray. And um, yeah, Lord, thank you. Thank you that the Bible and your word is relevant today as it was back in the day. And Lord, I thank you for the fact that um, you are with us and you never leave us. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak through Max today. Lord, may we be open to your teaching. Would we be open to your leading? And may we go out from here refreshed, renewed and on fire for you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Heather. Good to see you all here this morning. Smiling. Behind your masks. So do you have a favourite colour? Who's got a favourite colour? Leander's, Paul does. Yeah, a few of you got a favourite colour. So who wants to volunteer their favourite colour? Purple. You're wearing a purple mask. That's cool. Why is purple your favourite colour? Sorry? Okay. That's good. Yep. Anybody else got a favourite colour? Glenda? Yellow. Hmm. That's Margie's least favourite colour. <laughs> Do you know why? Do you know why you like yellow? Makes you happy. Cool. My favourite colour is green. It always was. 
And um, I just love the freshness of, of new growth of, of grass and leaves and just it speaks of, of um, I guess, yeah, new growth. I love it. All colours are green. So do you have a favourite word? Anybody got a favourite? Oh, yeah, yeah. Christmas. <laughs> no? Suddenly. Okay. Ah. Mm. I got gotcha. you. Suddenly, yep, fair enough, that's good. <laughs> so if you were to scan the universe for the most beautiful word, what word would you choose? Anybody? Did you say something, Linda? I got shocking hearing, sorry. Jesus, it's a good one. Good reason for that one. Yep. I guess if you know me, many of you can guess what my favourite word would be. Maybe. Who said that? Is that you? That's up there. Grace. Capital G, capital R, capital A, C, E. Grace, grace. We all need it. You know we can't purchase it, can we? We cannot earn it. It only comes to us by way of a gift. And you know when you receive grace you realise that you've needed for a long, long time. And you wonder how you could have got through so long life, etc., without it. In a fallen world populated by selfish, lost, lonely people, it's the one thing that everybody needs, isn't it? Grace. And you know, we cannot pass grace on unless we have received it ourselves. We can't pass on something that we do not have. This, my friends, this is the most beautiful word in the universe, I believe. It is the most powerful. And why is that? It's because it's the most powerful force in the universe. There is no other force in the universe that can have the effect that grace does on us. God's grace can reach into the darkest corners, into the most wretched of situations, into the most depraved and tortured of minds to transform them and lift them from total darkness and depravity into amazing light and freedom. God's grace has the power to do what nothing else in the universe can do. To reach into the very heart and soul and transform us into what God and where God wants us to be. And you know, and you all know this, that God wants the very best for us, doesn't he? Can you imagine if everybody on the universe, everybody in this world 
accepted and experienced the transforming power of God's grace in their lives, what sort of a world would that be? I know it's not going to happen. (laughs) But if everybody in the whole universe experienced and accepted his grace in their lives, we would not recognize this world, would we? It would be just totally different. And Heather um, read to us uh, the account of, of Saul's conversion. You did. She re- read to us the account of Saul's conversion from a religious zealot to a Christ follower. I couldn't help but when I read it not long ago, um, as I was reading, the first verse says, Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He was breathing out murderous threats. Couldn't help but notice that breathing out. This was who he was. This was his very life at that stage. This was his mission, his purpose. This is what controlled and motivated him. Can you imagine Christians back in the day having a little conversation, a little conflab together, and the conversation goes a bit like this. I've been thinking, you know, that Saul of Tarsus bloke, what about we invite him along to an alpha group? What do you reckon, Linda? I know Linda's starting one this week. Um, We invite that Saul of Tarsus bloke along to an alpha group. Yeah, yeah, that'd be a good idea. He'd be quite open and interested in learning about Jesus, who he is and that, don't you think? Uh, I don't think that was really going to happen. I don't think that would be very likely. Many of them were possibly wishing for Saul's death rather than his anticipated conversion to Christianity. I guess that's how some of us think about some people. Wouldn't it be good if God just got rid of them? I know we shouldn't think like that. but Saul was a scary bloke. He was out to get rid of and stamp out this new cult, this Christianity thing. And he also he had the power and authority from the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, to do this. Yet despite Saul's total opposition to what was true and to the gospel and to all that had happened in the days gone by, God in his grace and mercy reached down and confronted Saul. God stopped him in his tracks and turned him around 180 degrees. Saul went from an enemy of Christ, an angry, murderous zealot, in Eph- and, um, to this man now writing to Christians in Ephesus. And in Ephesians chapter 1, um, Paul is in a Roman prison. He's been jailed for his faith. The persecutor 
is now the persecuted. Interesting, isn't it? And in, in verse 2, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And just previous to that, he says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father. Grace and peace. Grace and peace were the last thing on his mind a few years back, weren't they? What has happened to Paul? What was it that changed Paul from an angry, violent, murderous enemy of God and also the Christ, all Christ followers to this person we now see? What has changed him? Let's read on. In this passage of scripture, Paul outlines the blessings that are his and ours through and because of the grace of God. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And he says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. He chose us. We're chosen. Before the beginning of time, we were chosen. Chosen by the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Chosen by the Ancient of Days, the Great I Am, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. We've been chosen. He goes on and says, In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. He adopted us. We've been adopted in the family of his majesty, the king of kings. We are sons and daughters of the most high. Isn't that amazing? It's incredible. We are heirs of the kingdom. And then he says in verse 6, says, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. It's talking about um, we are now his sons and daughters in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which is freely given us. So we're accepted. We're accepted in God's sight and his presence. We're no longer strangers and foreigners. But we can enter boldly into his presence and we can speak to him. He's our heavenly father. We're accepted. No longer strangers. And goes on to say, In him we have redemption through his blood. We're no longer under guilt or condemnation. We are redeemed. Despite our past, despite our failings, we've been set free. Jesus Christ paid our ransom. He took the punishment that God, the righteous judge, says we deserved. We are redeemed. Another one of the blessings that it is to know and be under the grace of God. And then it goes on to say, we have 
In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. The forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness has been granted to us and it was granted to Paul. Paul, this guy who was once an enemy of all things Christian and who was out to stifle Christianity. He was out to finish it once and for all. He was forgiven. And so, too, that forgiveness is ours if we accept who Jesus Christ is as our Saviour. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So far has he moved our sins and our failings. No more guilt, no more dwelling on our mess-ups or our disasters. God forgets them. We need to too. In verse 9, it goes on and he says, And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. And that's talking about how he has given us understanding and wisdom into his plans and his purposes for us into the future. He has led us into knowing things that the non-Christian has no idea about. And the non-Christian sees it all as foolishness. And he's done that through the Holy Spirit within us. And also as we read his word and as we're taught, we learn what the truth is. We learn what the future is, and we learn what he has in place for us. And that gives us confidence and trust in him into the future, doesn't it? And then the next blessing in verse 13, it says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. The Holy Spirit is given to us and indwells those who believe and accept Jesus Christ as our Saviour and Redeemer. As I said, as I read here, he's a, a seal it's a guarantee that we are belong in the family of God. It's a guarantee that we are redeemed and that we have eternal life. The Holy Spirit teaches us, corrects us, admonishes us, guides and comforts us. He empowers us. We're not alone and we are far, far from alone. And yes, some of you are sitting here saying, look, you know, we've heard all this over and over. And we have, haven't we? Why do you, and remember Bob, it wasn't that far along ago, was it, Bob? <laughs> Bloke who was here before Paul. <laughs> Bob and Paul. Um, Keep talking about grace. Why do we keep talking about grace? And I truly believe that God has asked me again to talk about grace. So I make no apologies for that. 
You know, some of us still may not have grasped the enormity, the incredible privilege, the full extent of God's grace in our lives. Maybe intellectually it's in here. Head knowledge, sure. But some of us may have become stale and stagnant in our walk with God. So I believe we need to keep going over the privileges and the what it is to be God's children. You know, back when I was young, a long time ago, when I went to school, we used to learn things by rote. <laughs> remember learning the tables? I, I can still remember some of them. One seventy-seven, two sevens of fourteen, three sevens of twenty-one, four sevens of twenty-eight. Yeah, remember that, guys? <laughs> you old people. I don't know why they still do that. Probably not. <laughs> so we're going to go back briefly. We're going to go back to verse four, and we're going to go through these, and we're going to make these. Um, individually. So the first slide says he chose us. So let's go through. I want to hear you as we go through these slides. And let's go, instead of we were chosen, I was chosen. Okay, let's go. I was chosen before time began. God has adopted me. I am the daughter and son and daughter of the King of Kings. I am accepted by him. No longer am I a stranger. I have access to the very throne room of God himself. I can come boldly before him. He paid my ransom. I have been redeemed, that is, bought with a price, a very, very costly price. I have been set free. I am no longer under condemnation of sin. Forgiveness is mine. Fine. Forgiveness is mine. I have been given wisdom and understanding in the scriptures into God's plan and purposes for both us, both now and into the future. I need not fear or despair because I know he has all in mind, in hand. And the last one. He has promised to me the Holy Spirit. And, you know, um, this part of Ephesians here, so good to go back over it in your quiet times or just to remind you of what a blessing it is to be his child and, and what God has done for you. So grace is an amazing, life-changing, transformational aspect 
of what it is to be a Christ follower. Let's have a a look at Paul here in um, verse 17, or just before that. Paul is praying for the um, Ephesian Christians. And he says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And I guess that's what this message is about, that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, that you may know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength. And it goes on there. But this guy who was totally, totally against Jesus Christ and what he didn't understand, obviously, but now he's been transformed. And what a transformation this is. I guess the question is, how has God's grace impacted you? How has it changed or transformed you? And how has it changed me? Is his grace continuing to change you, to transform you? Is his grace transforming your heart, your thought life, your self-esteem, your self-worth? You know, we cannot and never will be the people God would like us to be if his grace isn't continuing to challenge and change us. Yes, we can accept it and say, ah, fantastic, you know, what he's done for us. It needs to be more than that. We're a pretty, pretty, um, we're a Baptist church, as Paul often sort of says. You know, God's grace should make us leap for joy. Should make us shout out his name in praise, fall on our faces, cry tears of thankfulness and wonder. Have you stood under the shower of God's grace and just soaked it all up? Have you experienced that torrent of grace pouring over you, engulfing you, covering you, protecting you, confirming you are loved and valued and precious in his sight? Why would he grant us? Why does he grant us such favour? Is a question, I guess, we all ask. Now, God's grace is the result. It's the outpouring, the confirmation, the outworking of his love and compassion for us, isn't it? 
Firstly, he's a compassionate God, and his grace is the expression of his compassion and his mercy. And it's a practical expression, isn't it? The Bible tells us in John 3.16 that for God so loved the world, and we probably all know this verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. God so loved the world. And in Psalm 145, 8 to 9, it says, The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger and he is rich in love. The Lord is good to all and his compassion is on all he has made. You know, the most powerful force in the universe, grace, is the outflowing, the demonstration of his love, compassion and mercy to you and I. Therefore, as Christ followers, it would be hypocritical of us to be recipients of and know and experience the love, compassion and mercy of God yet not show or offer compassion, love and mercy to those around us, wouldn't it? Totally hypocritical. The same as if we accept his forgiveness. And we do. We say, I'm forgiven. But how is that outworking in our lives to those around us? Are we a forgiving people? Do we hold grudges? Paul, who once was known as a proud, aggressive, violent person who was complicit in the stoning of and the murder of Stephen. In Colossians 2.12 says, let me just turn to that. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, Gentleness and patience. I wonder what locals, people outside of KBC, outside of our church, I wonder what they see this church representing. I wonder what their perspective of KBC is. I wonder what their experience of us as individuals is. Do we have attitude towards certain people? Or does everybody see compassion and mercy oozing from this place? I doubt it. Do they see compassion and mercy seeping through the cracks because there's no way to hold it in? Not that we would want to hold it in. No, I guess the answer to that is no, hey? You know, it's not about us agreeing with and approving of certain behaviours and lifestyles. It's not about that. It's all about our heart attitude a heart of compassion as God has for us. 
We look at the example of Jesus. Everywhere he went, he displayed, demonstrated and oozed love, compassion and mercy. It was just who he was. It was what he did. And we don't have time to go and it's just plenty of scripture that um, enforces that. He was a compassionate and merciful man. And, you know, I guess it's time we became more organic. We became less inhibited, more free, more joyful, resting in him, peaceful in who we are. It's time we became bolder and more eager to be to be the people God meant us to be, demonstrating and living love and compassion to one another and those outside of the kingdom. You know, time is running out fast. Souls are heading for a Christless eternity all around us. Do we have compassion for them? For us to be reaching out to those around us, does it sound daunting? Scary, not possible for me. Now, in this world and society we live in, it's not easy to be compassionate and merciful to everybody around us, is it? Some pretty angry, pretty, you know, it is. It's, it's, it's an interesting world we live in and it's becoming more and more interesting. But it, I believe it's very possible if we allow God to envelop us, his grace to envelop us. So I urge you, my brothers and sisters, to come into his presence and stand. If you can indeed stand or fall on your knees beneath the incredible shower of God's grace, his amazing grace. Soak up his love his compassion and mercy. Let healing, transformation, joy, peace and forgiveness flow over you as it never has before. Let his grace permeate your very being as it did Paul. Look at the change in Paul. He was just a man. Let his grace permeate your very being. Envelop and fill your mind. Let his grace soothe and heal your soul and invigorate and motivate your heart. It is only then, my friends, as individuals, that we will begin to know real, real joy and peace. We will hear his voice, the Holy Spirit. We need to listen and trust him. Listen to that spirit. We will experience his leading in our lives. We will experience the teaching and guiding of the Holy Spirit. We will see his hand at work in and through us. And we will gain in confidence and in boldness. And in all that, lives will be changed. Lives will be transformed by the power of God. And talk about 
shower of his grace. How do I learn more? How do I understand more, experience and know his grace in a more dynamic and a more full way? I guess it's ask God to show you. We, we all need to continue to grow and develop and become more Christ-like, don't we? So ask God to show you more fully his grace. Read his word, passages on grace. And there's plenty of them. Listen to songs on grace. There's so many wonderful songs on grace. You just play them over and over and it will renew your mind. Songs that like City of Light do and uh, Mercy Me and some of the old hymns that one we did before. Wonderful. I couldn't sing that. I was battling to sing that. And then there's books on grace. And there's a few of them around. One that transformed my thinking and life was Philip Yancey's What's So Amazing About Grace? And there are others. And then, you know, even some secular stuff. Um, one great one, it's an old, um, it was a book written by Victor Hugo, uh, Les Mis, Les Miserables. And there's been some wonderful, wonderful um, number of different um, versions of that. But it's a wonderful story of God's grace and the transforming power of God's grace. Secular. You know, so I guess what I'm saying is God's grace can change our whole who we are. Really can change who we are and make us more loving and compassionate to those around us. And so if we, if we want to grow more, if we want to become more graceful, more compassionate and more loving so that the world around us has impacted us and it will be, if we do some of those things, one day his grace will completely envelop you, engulf you in a more fuller, more transformational way. His love, his grace and compassion will totally overwhelm you. We need to do that. We need to become the people God wants us to be so that we may be able to reach out to those who are going to that Christless eternity. People all around us. Here in Kerrang, there's a mission field right here. We don't need to go to Africa or India or somewhere else. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace, that amazing grace that is ours. And we thank you that it is from a heart of compassion and love and mercy that you give us that grace, that grace is made available to us. And Lord, we ask you to help us to become more compassionate, to become more loving to those around us that they might see and hear what it is to know 
your love, that they might be able to come into your very presence as your children. Lord, we, we ask that you help us to become the people you want us to be. That we might be light and salt in this darkening world. And it concerns us what we see around us. We see people don't want to know anything about Christianity. And why is that? What message do they see? Help us to proclaim the message of love and compassion and mercy and salvation. Lord, we ask these things in your name. Amen.